Before we start the work of preaching, just one or two clarifications concerning the morning service next Lord's Day. Just to pinpoint the fact that next Lord's Day we'll be celebrating, it will be the final finale of our celebration here at church. And so our starting time for the morning service will be at nine hours. It will not be at 10 hours, so let's take note of that. We'll start our morning service here at nine hours. So let's all come and be in the sanctuary at nine hours to start the morning service. So there will be no Bible studies, no Sunday school next Lord's Day. Again, we need to remind ourselves that it will be important for us to be here in time. Remembering that you will have a lot of visitors coming to celebrate with us. So let us be here before nine hours, it would not be wise, it would not be good to have the visitors come early and then find many of us not here. But let us be punctual and observe time next Lord's Day. Nine hours prompt the church service starts. The youth ministry also says that they would like to thank the church members who brought their vehicles here for the car wash. I think the event was uh, a success and they are thanking everyone for supporting their ministry through this work. Just before we start our preaching, I'll call upon our song leader again. Um, he's doing very well for us to sing that first chorus that we sang, because we sang it and many of us were still coming in and uh, didn't know the meaning of that uh, song, My Desire, My Desire. Let us sing. My desire, my desire, my desire, my desire is to know the Lord. It's not on the projector, but we know it by heart. We will sing it, you know, from that. My desire, my desire, my desire, my desire is to Yeah. 
Stand to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that in your grace and in your mercy, your gathering hand has brought us in this place. We thank you for the opportunity of communing with you in prayer, in song in giving of tithes and offerings, in the reading of your word. Oh Lord, we thank you. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you meet each one of us at our points of need, because we are needy people. Especially as we've been prayed before, that Lord, as we attend to the scriptures, you will delight in his ministering to our spirits, that you will feed us your word so that the word may change us, transform us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we are not saved, we pray again that Lord, you touch those that are not believers, that as they hear your word, you draw them near to thyself and save them. We thank you and we pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to teach us from your word. These things we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In our <coughs> preaching, these two Lord's Sundays, we have been looking at the subject of prayer. The subject of prayer. And in the first preaching, Elder Sheila preached on the subject a call to prayer. A call to prayer. And our thoughts were centered on the verse from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, which says, If my people, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. Forgive their sins and heal their land. A call to prayer. For those that love the Lord. Last Lord's Day, our elder Mbambiko took us again on the subject of prayer, but taking another angle, and we're trying to answer the question, 
does God answer prayer? And we emphatically answered in the positive that God really answers prayer. And our text came from the book of Acts, chapter 12, where the disciples were gathered together, locked up in one room for fear of the Jews, and were praying for Peter who had been arrested and put in prison by King Herod. And we see that after much prayer was made to God on behalf of Peter, Peter was released from prison. Indeed, God answers our prayer. This morning, we are going further and look at another angle of prayer, which we entitled Helpful Response to Answered Prayers. Helpful Response to Answered Prayers. And our text comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 73, Psalms chapter 20, 73, which I will invite all of us to turn to. Psalm chapter 23, 73. <clears throat> surely God, surely God, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped, had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil consists of their harmonies, no, no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are. They are like always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said I would speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressed to me, till I entered the sanctuary of God. 
Then I understood their final destination. Should you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? As a dream when one awakens. So when they so when you arise, O Lord, you despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a pure, a brute. I was a brute, a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. The psalmist, giving us his life experience, and as we look at this, especially we will look at the verses 25 to 28, as we look at the subject, helpful response to answered prayers. As we do so, we can look first of all at the author of this psalm. It's a psalm of Asaph. The psalm of Asaph. And our reading, the first reading of scripture today, did help us to understand who this man was. If you are following the scriptures on Second Chronicles chapter 5, which you read, and in verse 12, it describes to us who this man was. This man was a musician in the temple of Yahweh. He was one of the three Levites, he was a Levite, and was commissioned by King David to be in charge of the singing in this house of God, in the house of Yahweh, the Jehovah God. So this is the man the Psalmist in 773 is talking about. He wrote 12 Psalms in the book of, of Psalms, 12 books were written by him. Just to look at the background of what we are going to look at in the latter verses of this chapter, in context with what we are going to talk about, is this <clears throat> what Asaph experienced in his life. We will see that this man was lamenting what he saw happening around him. To him, it looked like there was a disconnect with what he thought 
about the goodness of God. And because of that, he was discontented, he was frustrated, and uh, he was envious of those around him who were prospering. These ungodly people were prospering, and they have no worries at all. While for himself, he had little, if any, at all. These ungodly people were seemed to be blessed. They were strong, healthy, and wealthy. They were increasing in health, in wealth. But for him, it seems that he was struggling and in pain. So he was puzzled and wondering, is this God whom I serve so fair to me? Is it worth it to walk with God? Look, I've been faithful to God. I've been spending and investing time in prayer and in study of his word. I've been able to give funds to the work of the Lord. I've been able to give active testimony for God in my public life and in privacy. But all I get is a dose of suffering and punishment. So that is the puzzle that was in ourselves mind. I'm sure we can relate this to ourselves. If you think of our situation, I'm sure not long ago we had uh, what the, the, the people are called Jeraboos. I'm sure you know who these Jeraboos were. They were people who were going around with large sums of money. They were driving Porsche cars, latest models of uh, land cruisers, Ford Rangers, Mercedes Benz, what can call that? These people were godly. They didn't fear God. They didn't give reverence to God, but they were prospering and looking very healthy, increasing wealth. And I remember one time I was attending one of the Chiranga Murilo. You know the celebration. This Chiranga Murilo where the people, especially the women, come to the house of the bridegroom to, to be and introduce to him the kind of food that will be able to save him. And uh, people were there in the room, were all gathered together. But this group of Jeraboos who are just by themselves on the side road and near their vehicles, like drinking expensive alcohol. They didn't want to come in. They stayed there until the women came singing and beating drums and came into the room. And as this practice, when they are singing appreciation of the food, appreciation of the song, the social dancing, you throw money on the ground. Throwing money on the ground. And many of us who are there were just throwing two kwacha, five kwacha, some ten kwacha. Those who are really twenty kwacha, they throw there. This little boost came in. And oh, behold. One of them came with a bunch of, not in this two kwacha, 
50 kwacha notes just came forward and started the flow another one went to the women who were beating drums that's the kind of people who likes the idea Asaf was referring to but let us remember one thing and clear and you know like the fact that these people are destined for ruin, for destruction. The wealth they have accumulated will be short-lived and their prosperity will end shortly. And we have known this, we have seen this happen in our time and in our situation. And so Asaf was filled with this burden on his heart. How can he understand this, that this God who is the owner of everything? Who is supposed to bless me with the, the blessings of prosperity and success, with good health and strength? Yet I'm toiling here. But these people don't know him. They are the ones who are enjoying life, carefree. And this pain could not even share with others, fearing that lest these others who have weak faith may stumble. So he kept on. Till one day he went into the sanctuary of God. In verse 17, we see him going to the sanctuary of God, and there he found the solution to the puzzle that he had. Instead of fixing his eyes on the world and the people around him, their material possessions, on comparing himself with others, he lifted his eyes to God. And in his focus on God himself in that sanctuary, his, percept his perception of life changed from temporary to eternal. He knew what reality is, and reality is God Himself. There was a change, even as he understood, he prayed and worshipped God. God opened his heart and he understood the destiny of the ungodly. The ungodly, they are time will be up. They will face ruin, destruction, and terror. But for him, will be heading for glory into heaven. That was what was going on around this man, Asaf. As he thought about it, that God really has come to his help. He has held my prayers, my worship, and that I offered to him. And he answered me by giving understanding of what it means to trust God. What it means not to trust God. And the two destinies that those who 
don't trust God, we will end up in destruction and terror. Those who worship the Lord, who are children of God, they will end up in heaven. That's the context in which this Asaph was um, going through as a believer in the world, in the sinful world, as we do. As he thought about it, that God has really come to his aid and answered his prayer, he turns to God. And he says, and as we look at this 25, as we look at this 25, what do we see there? What a, whom have I in heaven but you? And he has nothing I desire besides you. That's the response he gives to God when he answered his prayer. I desire God's presence in my life more than anything else, more than what the world can offer. The precious, the precious goods, materials, they are called nothing compared to God himself. I desire God's presence. I desire God's will to determine my position and my destiny. This is more valuable than the things of the world. Even as Jesus said, what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Letting us to know that God's presence in our lives is more desirable than the things of the world. Having a relationship with God is more desirable than anything else. Let us understand this fact that we as children of God are more blessed than those that are in the world. Those do not know God as their Lord and their Savior. Asaph talks about life in the now, in the present. What does it offer to us? Well, it says in this life, all of us have desires. Many desires upon our hearts. We desire security. We desire to be loved and to be cared for. We desire to have joy and to have satisfaction in life. We desire even a sense of accomplishment in what we are doing so that we can feel a sense of importance in society. The end list is endless of our desires. Depending on our life situation, we all have desires. But the truth about these desires is that not many of these desires will be fulfilled. Secondly, we are all as 
human beings are not satisfied no matter what we might have attained no matter what we have achieved we are left dissatisfied disgruntled and we say oh there is something that i'm missing other than what i have achieved what i have desired in my heart but when we have god we have everything we have everything god god is the almighty god is the one who is in control is the one who is in charge of events on the earth and in heaven so we can covet his presence in our lives he can lift us up when we are cast down he can listen to our cries when we are in pain and suffering he can answer our prayers already accomplishes many things through us as his children dear friends this god whose presence we desire did much more than that he sent his son his only son the lord jesus christ to come and die on the cross of calvary and through his death he has reconciled us to himself he has provided access to himself this god works all things together for our own good and for his glory he loves us more than what we love ourselves he loves us much more than we can ever imagine because our minds are limited so then if we have him as our god what else should we desire everything good in this life we get them undeservedly we don't deserve these gifts that we receive from him life health and everything oh comes to us because of his mercy his grace upon us every good and perfect gift is from above coming from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change or shift like shifting shifting shadows if we have him we have the source and the fountain of all good things so there can be nothing absolutely nothing in this world that we can desire apart from god himself listen god's presence with us and in us is all that matters in our lives in the present and in the future i would like to you to that god's presence means comfort means security 
by his indwelling Holy Spirit, he comforts us in times of trouble. In times of sorrow, he comes to us and comforts us. Yes, God is there through the Spirit to comfort us. And nothing else compares to the comfort that the God gives. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn because of the comfort that they will receive from God. God's comfort is more precious to us as his people. How do we get this comfort? We get this comfort from him through the counsel of his word, through the promises that he has given us for the future, the promises we are in, which are incomparable to the present troubles that we face. God's presence means our comfort and security. We desire him more than anything else. In this life, because we want to hold on to life, we go and expand go to extreme measures to protect our lives. In our homes, if we had um, a lovely lovely flowers as a hedge for the house, you cut it down, you build a war fence. Because you want security. You are not satisfied with us, so you increase the height of the war fence. But you still feel insecure. You put a razor wire on top of the fence. That's not satisfactory. You put electric fence. You still feel you are not safe. Your family is not safe. You do even much more. You go and procure fierce-looking dogs. Thinking that my now, I will even be more secure. But alas, we feel uncomfortable and insecure. You even go and buy guns to protect yourself and the family and others. But first remember that God's presence provides the most security that we need in this life. Provides the comfort that we need in this life. Secondly, God's presence, which we should desire, brings joy and peace in our lives. We live in a fallen world and we experience different kinds, different kinds of situations. We experience sorrow, we experience doubt, we experience anxiety and fear. 
But for those that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the midst of the sorrow, they can experience the joy of the Lord in their hearts. In the time of doubt and confusion, they can experience the confidence that comes from God. The anxiety and fear will be replaced by peace. This is the paradox of living in the flesh on this planet. But God's presence gives us much joy and peace. This peace and joy that we are able to enjoy in the Lord are not fleeting emotions, but they are deeply, deeply rooted in the goodness and the love of God and His purposes and plans for each one of us. God, speaking to David, proclaims, David says, In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand and pleasures forevermore. David experienced the life of joy and peace. Even when he was being pursued, Saul was about to take his life, but that did not determine to, but focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, on, on God Himself who provides that peace and joy. I've been considering the present life, but what about the future? How, what does the future hold for each one of us? As of the psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? In verse 26, it goes on further to say, God is my strength. He's the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My portion speaks of the great inheritance. The inheritance that we receive from God himself and which we should be able to look to even as we look to God to going to heaven. What the son is talking about is that my portion in heaven in nothing else but God himself. The God of heaven, the God of the earth is what I desire now and in the future. More than anything else, the scriptures do tell us we have a lot of rewards. We have a lot of rewards in heaven. Our bodies will be changed. We will be like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should not be exposed to weary, weariness. But it will be the same. 
We're looking to rather union with the loved ones who had gone before us, who are in Christ Jesus. Those are blessings that await us in heaven. We know that we shall be made perfect without sin, without even any wrong desires upon our hearts. These are all that awaits us. The blessing that we look forward to as the people of God. Yet the psalmist says, in the midst of this abundance of good, there is much more than I desire in my heart. And that is God himself. God himself is greater than all these goodies that I will receive from him. Let us remember also that these things, the gifts that we receive from him, do point us to God himself and gives us the reason why we should be able to desire him. Rome, in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, Paul attests to this, that from him and through him and to him are all things. God's presence provides all that we need for godliness and for life. That is what the psalm is telling us, that we need God's presence in our lives if you have to enjoy life now and life in the future. The desires of our hearts. What is our desire in our hearts today? The psalmist goes on further and looks at the practical agenda. I would call the practical agenda that we need to have in response to answered prayer. We have looked at the condition of the heart that the world should desire God's presence. But now he says there is much more that needs to be done in response to answered prayer. Verse 28. And this is the resolution that each one of us should be able to make. But as for me, it is good to be near God. But as for me, it is good to be near God. It's a good thing that to be near God will be able to feel the warmness will be able to know the guidance into all truth for the present, for the future, and for all things in the now and in the future. We can draw near to God in a number of ways. We can draw near to God in prayer. 
We can draw near to God in many other acts of religious worship. We can draw near to God by spending time loving one another and saving one another. You can draw near to God by various arrangements in the ministry of God's word. Draw near to God is what we need in our present life. To draw near to God, to draw near to God is to enter into the very presence of God and to bask in His glory and to have perfect fellowship with Him. That is precisely what worship is all about. We do not come to God. We do not draw near close to God on our own initiative. It's by God Himself who invites us. James chapter 4 verse 8 encourages us to draw near to God. Draw near to God and says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinner, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Let us draw near to God, even as He draws near to us. Our God is a relational being, and He delights to commune with each one of us. And because that is his desire, he wants us to draw near to himself and have communion with him. And that brings pleasure in his sight. Let us draw near to God, even as he draws near to us. Let us pause for a little while. And I pose this question to you, my friend, who is not a Christian. To you, you cannot draw near to God in your state. God will not welcome you because of the sin that is upon you. To draw near to God, you need to do first things first. Repent of your sins and also stop doing them. Accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. He has provided the way through his death and all you need to do is to trust him for your salvation. Thirdly, decide to live for him each day of your life. Save him. Commit yourself to him. In the second part, he says, in our agenda, he says, we have to make the sovereign Lord our refuge. We have to acknowledge and make God our refuge. Seek the blessedness of trusting in God. The Bible calls each one of us to place our trust in one and only God. 
And when we put our trust in him, the blessings will be ours. The blessings will be ours. We'll be able to meet each one of us at our points of ministry. It should be our decision and our daily choice to put our trust in God and making him our refuge. David in Psalm, 1, Psalm 91, who made God his refuge, he says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. When tempted to flee from the pressures of life, we should lean to, our, to hide ourselves in God, for He alone will be able to provide the most secure refuge from danger, from any misery that may come upon us. However, taking refuge in God does not always mean immediate escape from pain, from suffering. It doesn't come from that. It comes from the fact that our God is on the throne. The psalmist says, Sovereign Lord. His God who is mighty, whose power, whose authority is incomparable to anything in the universe. He determines the events of the things in heaven and on earth. And he is not perturbed or disturbed by apparent events in the universe. He is the God, the Creator, and he remains unshaken in his power that he has. So it's worthwhile as the people of God to take refuge in him, make him our hiding place, as the psalmist was able to tell us. Furthermore, taking refuge calls upon us to examine our lives. To examine our lives, it means living a life of holiness in this chaotic world and completely be completely devoted to Him. It requires us to live lives that are pleasing to Him as we surrender ourselves to Him and take refuge in Him. Let God be our refuge. As we take our refuge in Him, He calls upon us to embrace, to embrace Christ in our lives. And He will be able to help us, to sanctify us, to purify us, so that we will be like him 
in his own character. If you take refuge in God himself. Furthermore, in response to answered prayers, he calls us to an active life. We should not just fold up arms that God has answered my prayers. The psalmist says we have to do more than that. Yes, God has solved our problems as we brought them to himself. Isaiah says, we do not understand everything about us, about each one of us, about the world. Neither do we have anyone else who can solve our problems except him. We may not understand everything. We may not be able to solve the problems simply because our God is so exalted, so high above as that his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways, he says. As heaven is far above the earth, so are his ways higher than ours. His thoughts so higher than our thoughts. Even as we have this situation in our lives, we have to proclaim the good deeds of God. He says there in Psalm, he says, I will tell others about the good deeds of the Lord. There we have the message Believers, sometimes we are intimidated. We say, What am I going to tell others when I go and share and see them and want to share the gospel with them? What am I going to say? The psalmist says, The wonderful deeds of the Lord is sufficient ground for you to share with those around us. Share this message of the wonderful deeds of God. At the same time, proclaim the good news to those that are lost and introduce them to the kingdom of God. As Matthew tells us in Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20, in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And let them observe the things that I have commanded you. And I am with you to the close of the age. That is the privilege that we have as the children of God. To tell the people the goodness of the Lord. To share the gospel to those that are lost so that they can enter the kingdom of God. That should be an item on our agenda.
the message can only be spread by none other than ourselves. Amen. Amen. But ourselves, we can do it. Brethren, this week we'll be celebrating the 30 plus years of the existence of this church. And one day I was, went to the library and I found the prayer book. You know we have a time of prayer here at Riverside Chapel on Saturday mornings. Every Saturday the church meets here to pray, to intercede to God for the various things that God is doing in this church. And I looked through the list and I could see the many answered prayers that God has made to our requests, to our supplications. Looking through the list, many, many, many answered prayers were listed there. As a member of the church, I will encourage you to come every Saturday morning here, 6.30, and join the saints to pray to God, because we know our God answers prayer. He's more than delighted to listen to us, to our cries and answers. What will you be celebrating? Yes, our celebration, my friends, will be God himself. We'll be celebrating God himself, who manifests himself to us in various attributes. The attribute of faithfulness, of love, of mercy, grace. This is what we'll be celebrating. The celebrating is about God himself. So let's join our hearts together as the people who love the Lord to celebrate God himself. Let us not be, let just be this for just a few because we know who our God is. We know what he has done, we know what he is doing. We know what he will do in answer to our prayers. Let us celebrate with joy and peace within our hearts. As I conclude, I must say, let us look for God. Let us look for God in our lives. Let him come in our lives. Let his presence abide with us. Let us make him our refuge. Let us 
spread the good news, the good deeds of God himself. When we do these things, something will start to happen in our lives. The good deeds of the Lord, the goodness and the love will permeate, will permeate our lives and we will see our lives being changed from one glory to another. Our stories of pain, suffering will be changed to God's stories of grace, restoration, and hope. He will turn our experiences, our life's experiences, into his wonderful testimonies. People of God, let us respond to God who has answered, who answers our prayers as his children. This is our only prayer. Amen.